The following is a presentation of the Six Arrows Radio Network. Ham Radio 360 Podcast. Catching up with Stuart Thomas, Kilo Bravo One, Hotel Quebec Sierra. Yeah, you know, the number one activator for the national parks on the air. Coming up. MTCRadio.com presents Ham Radio 360, the podcast. With your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. And welcome back in to another episode of the Ham Radio 360 podcast. Thanks so much again for stopping by. Happy New Year, everyone. Really excited to be here with you as we ring in 2017. Got a sinus thing going on. Sorry about that. It's just that time of year. We survived the snowmageddon in South Carolina, at least here on the farm. We got about a quarter of an inch of snow in less than six hours. It was all gone. The streets were dry and the kids were very disappointed. So wherever you are, because I know we've had some crazy weather throughout this last couple of weeks here in the States, uh, be safe, be careful, stay warm. And again, thank you for spending this time with us. You know, you don't have to do this. And I always like to bring that fact up. You come by here and get this program to enjoy, hopefully learn from, learn along with me as well. So really tickled to have you in. Got to give a big shout out to Jeremy and George, still doing a great job at the Workbench Podcast. It airs the opposite week of this program, and the last time they were on, they discussed components, and they have not told me what to expect the next time. So make sure you stay here, right here in this feed, and every other week you'll get the Workbench, and opposing weeks you get myself. Ringing in the new year with new sponsors here on the Ham Radio 360 podcast, a very special thank you to Elecraft for coming on board. Look forward to continuing our relationship with you as we move forward here, and uh, really excited to be able to tell you that you know Winterfield Day's right here. We're, we're virtually on top of it now. If you're needing a portable rig possibly to take out and operate for Winterfield Day, what not a better choice than the Elecraft KX3? You can find them online at elecraft.com. And I would be remiss not to tell you about our friends down at mtcradio.com. They've got a special sale right now on the Kenwood TS480 and the Kenwood TS480HX. Yeah, both of them discounted right now on sale at mtcradio.com. In addition to the already great prices, how about another $10 off? That's right, coupon code HR360 to save an additional $10 off on either of the Kenwood TS480 models from mtcradio.com. And being the new year, you know, that means there's uh, new things that have started and old things that have stopped. And one of the old things that have stopped has been an incredibly popular amateur radio content, well, event that (laughs) went all the way through the year 2016. And we've got with us none other, ladies and gentlemen, than the number one activator of all things national parks on the air, the centennial celebration with the ARRL and the National Park Service. Folks, give it up for my friend and yours, KB1HQS, Stuart Thomas. Thanks, Kale. Thanks for having me on. Man, totally excited to have you on. Congratulations, Mr. Number One Activator. It was a lot of activations. What can I say? <laughs> it was a lot of portable operations. Yeah. Uh, c- congratulations, really, to everyone who participated in this event. I remember back when you and I spoke, I think it was in the spring, um, maybe early summer. I was I was still kind of in shock that it had become what it had become. 
Stuart, when it when you first heard about the National Parks on the Air celebrating the centennial of the Park Service along with the ARRL coming in and, and having this event, did you really think that it would become what it did? I don't think anybody did. I think it uh, started out kind of uh, kind of slow, and then it just uh, picked up steam. And even by the end of the year, I mean, by the end of last month, it was just going crazy. It was uh, <laughs> like a DX expedition every week. <laughs> it was, you know, uh, I joined up on the, the Facebook group, and all of every time I would open Facebook up, it would be National Park on the Air stuff. And it wasn't just a little bit. I mean, it was just page after page. That and we'll talk about the Facebook group, I'm sure, in just a little bit. But wow, uh, how many how many actual QSOs were logged to, up to this point that you're aware of? As of right now, because people are still kind of uploading some logs, but it, they passed the million the million QSO mark. Uh, I think in the end of December, so it wasn't that long ago that they hit a million QSOs. Oh my gosh! Now, how many activations were? Do you know how many activations they were actually made? Uh, they hit about 20,000. There's a little more than that at this point, but the last I heard was, was 20K. 20K and the, the million QSOs were kind of the big benchmarks that um, AWRL came up with to, to kind of help push things along and, and keep it going, which everybody took up and ran with. Now, was, was that on the front end kind of a thing, or was this as the snowball started really coming down the hill? They thought, hey, we could actually do this. Did it kind of come in later in the, in the game? Yeah, the, the numbers thing I think kind of came in later. Uh, initially, it's just everybody was just having fun. Well, everybody's having fun till the end, but <laughs> it it just kind of it just kind of picked up steam on its own. I mean, because this was this wasn't really supposed to be like a contest. This was just hey, we're right. we're it's an opportunity to activate uh, and, and get people on the air. Exactly. It was yeah, and it was an event for everybody to get out. You know, for the activators to get out and operate at the national parks and historic trails, and for the chasers to chase them, and everyone to make contacts and help promote ham radio, which I think they more than succeeded with. Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, well, number one of the uh, one of the guys that scored number forty four on the top fifty is one of our local hams, K four XP Keith, and uh, we had a number forty eight, and 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 I think Brett was on further down just a little bit. Uh, maybe well, maybe Keith was thirty. I don't remember. I should have looked it up before I got in. And I apologize, guys. But congratulations to everybody who just uh, who were chasing and activating. I it's I didn't realize yeah. back then what it was going to be then. And by the time the end got here, and and I'm seeing people, you know, almost to the point they're needing some sort of. Um, counseling to get past the fact there's no one activating <laughs> parks today man it's just i'm still i'm still in awe of the whole thing and it was a team effort you know it's it's it was about from the person who only maybe chased one park all the way you know to the activator who only did you know 40 something activations it, the numbers overall didn't really matter it was just a question of it was more about everybody just getting out and uh you know and, and getting on the air is what ultimately it's about <laughs> well i made I, I believe if i counted right i made four contacts three of them were, were with you <laughs> nice and you know that was really cool because we had had you here on the show and and i would see you spot yourself and i'm like hey I'm going to run up to the barn, get up here out of breath, you know, because it's uphill. <laughs> I'm like, KB1 HQS, K4Z, you know. And it was so cool to hear you. I mean, of course, any contact is cool, I think, it's because radio is awesome. But, sure. to uh, you know, we got to meet and, and kind of hang out some there at the Hamvention. And uh, then you were back down in here in South Carolina later in the year when it was really hot. And Yeah, it was hot. <laughs> it was very hot that day. But, you know, all of that is – and it's, you know – if it really, really honestly, if it weren't for 
the uh, national parks on the air, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation. And that is true. You know, that you and I true. probably wouldn't have got to hang out there at Hamvention. I probably wouldn't have loaded the kids in the van to come up to Cowpens to hang out with you uh, during your activation here in South Carolina. Um, but you know, that's just two people who befriended one another through this thing. I have seen people who've like become best buddies with people they've never met, maybe never will meet uh, in this whole process. And to me, it just really helped the, uh, the amateur radio service, the hobby, whichever one of those two you want to call it. Uh, it just really made it shine with how it brings people together. Yeah, no question about it. I've met a ton of new people and the social media thing really kind of helped, uh, you know, give some, I guess, backstory and get to know people better versus just on the air. Well, yeah. Of course you can meet people on the air, but the whole social media thing definitely helps, helps, uh, helps that as well. So yeah, it was, it was a really, really great event. I'm glad I was able to take part in it. So do you think you had an unfair advantage by living in the, uh, in the, in the crux or in the, in the cradle, I guess you used to say, the cradle of <laughs> national parks? Uh, yeah, I definitely had a home advantage, no question about it. Me and everybody else that lived in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, throughout the, the United States, there's other pockets, too, that had just happened to have a lot of national park uh, properties. But, you know, it's still at the end of the day, you had to get off the couch, you had to load up the gear up, and you had to go. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's up to the individual. I know I had a total of 503 activations and 108 uh, points as far as a chaser, nice, and, and then uh, over ten thousand QSOs, which isn't really a lot compared to other people, right? But considering the gear I was using, which I can talk about later, uh, there's a reason for that number. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, my goodness, man, ten thousand QSOs—that's probably about nine thousand nine hundred and fifty more than I've made on HF in the last four or five years. So. You know that's and you did it in really less than a year's time. Um, yeah, it was about it was a year, right at a, a year. year. Okay, okay. Yeah, because yeah, it was right at the end of uh, December. So. Okay. So yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Five hundred and three activations, uh, guys. To activate a park, uh, I'll let you tell us, Stuart. What did it take to activate a park for the national parks on the year? So assuming you picked out. The location that's been approved by AWRL as a national park site, whether it's a trail, a river, a park, whatever, you would go to that area and then uh, activate it, meaning you'd have to make at least a minimum of 10 contacts uh, to in order to activate the park. Yeah, 10 contacts. So that would, that would qualify. Which, you know, uh, and you say we'd talk equipment later, but QRP, that's, that's kind of tough, I would imagine. Oh, no question. Yeah, and 80% of my contacts were QRP with some really bad antennas. So <laughs> <laughs> I kind of did it because I wanted to see if I could do it. If it, you know, sure. A lot of people do QRP, but there's always people that are saying that QRP isn't doable. And especially with this propagation and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go do it. And I had the KX three. So that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go Ellacraft. Hey, um, you didn't just hang around DC though. Like I'd mentioned just a moment ago, you came down here to South Carolina, North Carolina. You were, you were all over the place. What are some of the, uh, the crazy places or furthest from the uh the area you you live in that you actually activated it's kind of a toss-up between texas the big thicket preserve which is down in southeast texas and it was kind of interesting we were parking in this small parking lot and this guy comes out and the water was coming up because they had a lot of flooding he's like you guys want to watch out for the alligators and i was <laughs> like i don't know if he was serious or not but i wasn't i wasn't going to hang around and then uh maine uh Acadia national park which i actually just came back from uh, just this week, so I got to activate that twice. 
Sweet, sweet. So, what took you to Texas? Just wanted to go to Texas, or was it a family trip and you took the rig? A uh, family trip, yeah. It was just a family trip. Cool, cool. He was all over the place, guys. H- how many miles did you put on your Subaru? Oh, uh, I probably put on about 10,000, give or take. <laughs> but hey, there's other guys. One guy bought in for CD. I think he put on 50K. He had like a new car and put on 50K. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. He's like, so, can I, like can I, I turn said, this lease in now? Aren't that impressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ready for a new one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, Maine, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, the D.C. area, Pennsylvania, and Texas. I mean, that's about as many states as I've visited in my 43 years of living. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get on the road. Did Did you have a favorite park or one that you might have activated uh, more often than others? Yeah, yeah there's probably two of them. Uh, Appalachian Trail, which is uh, which runs from Georgia to Maine. Mm-hmm. And in order to activate that, tra- that trail, you have to be portable. So I really like going out in the woods, setting up uh, a hammock with the, uh, the KX3 and Pactena Infed or Dipole and, and uh, making contacts. That was a lot of fun. Cool. And then the other one was Thomas Stone National Historic Site, which is down in Southern Maryland. And if you're a ham radio operator and you're in this area and you want to operate a national park, that is the place to go. Because the two rangers that work there, uh, the supervisor, uh, Ranger David and Ranger Youssef, they are very pro ham radio and uh, were more than happy to have me there anytime. And in fact, I became really good friends with both of them. And uh, Ranger Yusuf actually um, got on the air with me a couple of times. I gave him the mic and said, this is what you do. And off he went. And I have a YouTube video of it on my channel. And it's pretty funny. Um, and in fact, he, he decided he wanted to become a ham. So the uh, AWRL sent him a free uh, tech book so that he could study and get his tech license. Well, go AWRL. That's awesome. I was getting ready to ask you, how many people did you convert this year? So at least one that you're aware of? Yeah, I'd say at least one. Nice, nice. Well, hey, there's 700,001 of us now, so that's good stuff. And uh, that, that's good for the league to realize that, hey, what, what not a better way to continue growing this this hobby, this service out by putting stuff in people's hands. So good, good job on them. I uh, I got to ask you, how many how many parks in one day were, were the most that you actually activated? Oh, man, a couple months ago, I decided to, uh, my wife, first of all, I have to give a disclaimer. My wife was out of town, so I decided I was at 7 o'clock in the morning. I was going to start in D.C. and work my way until I got tired of activating or Mm. no one would answer my calls. So I did 13 Mm. in one day, and I started, like I said, 7 in the morning, and I finished 9 at night. Um, finished out by Shenandoah National Park. So, and I think someone else has done more. I can't. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Right. I just wanted to see how many I could do. So. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, I know Vance has done a lot in one day. A Napotathon, I believe, is what he might have called it, but I cannot <laughs> remember the number he tried to activate or he did activate. And Vance, I'm sorry that I I didn't didn't pull that down before I got started. Um, Guys, we're, we're chatting with our buddy KB1HQS. His name's Stuart Thomas. He's got a great YouTube channel, uh, an amazing website. Uh, you can find it on the hamradio360.com website. He's one of our content providers there. Just scroll on down. and He is the number one activator in the national parks on the air this year. And it, it, if, you, if you haven't participated in this, or maybe you've been living under a rock for the last 12 months in amateur radio and all that's going on around it, this has been a tremendously popular event, and I know Cutsco has got to be out of breath. He's probably sitting in a recliner somewhere still trying to catch his breath. 
uh, up there at the league trying to get everything <laughs> going and, and <laughs> keeping it all together. Yeah, I, this was this was one of the big shockers. You know, the W1AWs uh, two years or three years ago, whatever it was, was really popular and, and had a lot of success. But I think for whatever reason, man, this was just perfect, perfect timing. And, and I got to give big kudos to the league for putting this out there and getting it together. Um, people are people are begging for something to know what to do now. So I know there's some alternatives that people are out there working on. Maybe we'll chat about those in just a little bit. Uh, but, Stuart, uh, we're going to come right back with you if that's cool. I want to talk about uh, talk about some of the other things that you experienced during your time activating national parks on the air. Just the other day, a gentleman asked on one of the Facebook groups what we would recommend for a brand new HF rig from ICOM. Now, <laughs> of course, 99% of the people said the ICOM IC7300. The other uh, one or two, maybe percent of folks recommended the 7100. Both of them phenomenal rigs, maybe uh, suited to different needs. So if you're looking for an all-band, all-mode, check out the 7100. If you're interested in the latest and the greatest, an SDR with knobs, make sure you check out the IC7300. You'll find the best deals on either of those, maybe both, down at mtcradio.com. Yes, we are on here with KB1HQS, Stuart Thomas from the D.C. metro area. Stuart is the number one activator with 503 activations in the National Parks on the Air 2016 ARRL event. We talked about some of your favorite parks that you activated. Stuart, uh, did you have a least favorite during that time? Uh, I, yeah, I did. I had uh, Frederick Douglass in Southeast D.C., which for those who aren't familiar with Southeast D.C., it's just uh, it's an area that you don't want to go into at any time unless you're heavily up armored with a 50 cal on top, maybe. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the park itself is fine. It's just the surrounding neighborhood isn't the greatest. Uh, and when I was there, I went twice and had a couple issues. The first is that the, there's a lot of RFI in that area and it's just constant interference on seven, on uh, 40 and 20 meters. It's just really, really bad. Like talking seven S seven S eight noise. Oh it's, it's, it's bad. And the other issue I found last time I went there, when you go into the, and it's a really small park. It, it basically consists of a parking lot, a visitor center and a, the house that was, that belonged to Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. And as you go into the parking lot, I backed in and I was sitting there doing my thing, you know, making contacts and uh, a local from the neighborhood came strolling through with his pants around his, you know, knees, comes strolling through and checks the, uh, all the cars to see if they're unlocked. Oh my gosh. I was like, well, that's interesting. And he wanders off and park police shows up and I, I mentioned it to him and he didn't seem too surprised about it. And he starts to tell me the story about how a visitor came and was doing a tour of the house. So when they came back, their car was on blocks and their wheels were gone. Oh my God. So I decided not to take the tour that day and uh, decided to to head home instead. Yeah. So, yeah, that would, yeah, that's probably all the places I wouldn't, you know, Frederick Douglass is a cool spot, but I wouldn't want to go there multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Did you have your dog with you that time? Uh, no, I didn't. Actually, he was at home. I got you. I got you. Because you didn't go, you didn't go very many places without him. Yeah, he went with me the majority of the time. It kind of depended on where we were going, but yeah, he went a lot. He was a, he was a good co-pilot. Cool, cool. What's up with uh, the LBJ Memorial? Yeah, so LBJ uh, Memorial Grove is on the east side of the Pentagon. It's kind of in between the Washington Monument and the Pentagon, and it's a real small park as well. And you go, I've been there numerous times, and I went there one night. It was probably around seven when the sun was setting, and I parked in my spot. And again, I set up and I'm doing my thing. And all these guys in these cars are just kind of driving around, driving around. And I'm like, oh, 
what's going on here? Like they're all trying to act like they're busy, but they're not actually doing anything. Right. It's really confused. So I went home and did a Google search and uh, it became really obvious that there was a hot gay cruising site for DC. <laughs> and uh, so the next time I went, I just couldn't help myself. And uh, they were always kind of checking me out like, what's he doing? Because I had the antenna and the microphone. It was kind of right. confusing them. So they'd go by and I would act like I was reading off their license plates to uh, – supposedly whoever on the other end and uh, so after that they stopped cruising by me and went elsewhere in the park they kind of gave me the bubble of security yeah man there's uh there's never never a lack of uh interesting things to to take in i guess when you're out there activating these national parks you saw drug deals (laughs) jumper what's what's the deal with jumper cables man yeah, so I was at George Washington Parkway, and uh, I pulled in this spot that I go often. It's right next to the Potomac, and there was a sewer grave underneath the, where I parked. And one day, there was not much going on. The band conditions were real bad. And I was like, you know, I'm going to try, being having a vertical on a mobile, I'm going to try just put jumper cables on the chassis of my vehicle and then hook the other end to the uh, to the sewer grate for, you know, like a little counterpoise radial yeah. type thing. Yeah. Why not? And so I did it, and I don't know if it made any difference, but it was fun to try. And uh, people kept coming by, and they're like, excuse me, sir, do you know there's jumper cables attached to your car to that sewer thing? I'm like, yeah, I'm good, thanks. It was, yeah, they kind of confused some people. But all in all, it was, you know, I really didn't, not much really happened. I mean, there were just people out enjoying the parks. And I got to say, a lot of people really like going to the parks. I I was getting ready to ask you that because, you know, we've got two here within driving distance of me, and, of course, they're all over the country. Um, I was going to ask you because, you know, I don't really think about, Hey, I believe I'm going to go to a national park this afternoon, but I know that they're a big draw for people traveling and whatnot. Uh, and of course where you're at, you're seeing a lot of visitors come through because of the, you know, the nation's capital. What, but what about the, the, the parks further out, like the ones in Maine, one in Texas, uh, were they busy as well throughout the year? Uh, well, I went to big thicket out in texas that park is huge and it's spread out all over the place so we really didn't see anybody other than that one guy who warned us about the uh, the alligators or the crocodiles or whatever they have in texas uh, in maine the k national park in the summertime is a complete zoo gettysburg i don't care when you go that place is a zoo as well the parking lots there are huge and they get tons and tons of people it really depends on the park okay acadia this time of year is a lot quieter there's not a lot going on it's more of a summer kind of thing okay but uh you know some parks are just busy all the time it really depends on the park what is uh what is one of the most uh most humbling or sobering things that you saw when you were you were out this year uh, that the only one I, I would to say would be at Arlington. Uh, towards the end of the year, a friend of mine, Jeff, um, who is the uh, president of the DC Ham Radio Club, he uh, clued me in on the fact that you can park in the parking lot on the top floor at Arlington, and you can operate from there and have it be a legit activation. So I went and activated, and as I was in the middle of a pileup, I noticed about, I don't know, 7,500 yards away that they were actually burying somebody in a military, you know, funeral procession type thing going on. So, yeah, so I just QRT'd and uh, out of respect and figured it wouldn't be, even though it's not like they could hear me, I was in the car, but I just thought, you know, out of respect to the person being buried, not to uh, be in the middle giving out designators and uh, signal reports yeah because unto itself that is a very very reverent time whether you've ever served or not i mean it's it's a sure yeah it's really hard to describe if you've never participated and unfortunately some of us have and it's uh wow yeah that that would that would definitely kind of pour the water on the fire there for sure yeah and i should mention we had permission from 
uh, from the NPS there to, to operate there. So, yeah. and the, in the, around the parking garage, there are actually there's new spots, obviously being of people being buried along, right. like 50 yards right off of that parking garage. So, wow. I guess they're uh, starting to run out of room, from what I understand. But yeah, so it was kind of interesting. Well, we could have a conversation about the the endless wars that we've been involved in for the last 20 years, but we'll leave that one alone because uh, we're not a political show, and I don't want to talk about my buddy that I lost in Iraq today. So. Uh, speaking of Iraq, that would be a DX station. How about some uh, DX work? Because it wasn't just, you know, uh, United States nerds chasing you guys. I mean, you had people all over the world participate. <laughs> we did, yeah. I had um, probably the, I had 48 total, and two that stood out were Antarctica and the Vatican. The Vatican came out of nowhere. Um <laughs> I, was, I didn't even recognize the call sign, and I looked it up, and I was like, wow, there's a club call from the Vatican, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, there was a guy in the Azores that called con- a lot of times, which was really cool to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some people in Spain. Kind of, you know, there was a guy in Belgium, um, Danny, who I talked to a lot. So we had a lot of uh, regulars when the conditions were right. Nice. Be able to pick them up. Antarctica. Now, you've got all these, these, uh, these guys that have been chasing Antarctica for years, disappointed that they didn't activate a park to try to get maybe snag some rare DX. Yeah, I'm not 100% that it's that. I don't know. I have the call and I have, you know, I got to look and see it at Logbook. I'm going to check into it and see. Cool. Cool. Uh, so you, uh, you, you activated 503 different times and you said you made friends like Danny. Um, did you did you have people that you knew they were going to get you no matter what every time you activated? Did you have some some regular chasers? Oh, I did. Yeah, there was definitely uh, there was people that I talked to all the time. In fact, I was looking through my logbook today, and I think I have to double check it, but I'm pretty sure the top chaser uh, was Reno Whiskey Tango Eight Charlie, and he contacted me 68 times. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, a lot of these people like anybody, you know, after a while you recognize their, uh, their voices and their calls and you know where they live and you've looked at their QRZ bio page and, yeah. uh, you really, you know, you get to, like I said, some of these people you may never meet some, you know, I have met in person like at, at Dayton. So right. it's, uh, it was really cool. It, it has been quite a, quite a time. A, the ARRL did it up big with the national parks on the air. Um, real quick before we go to break, I want to talk to you a little bit about, and we mentioned a few minutes ago about your car. Um, but tell us, I mean, this is, this is something that, that took your, your time for an entire year. And, uh, I'm sure it it didn't happen for free. This had to have cost you something because everything costs something. What what do you figure this might've, if you, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what do you figure this this may, uh, this may have cost you this year? Not including the new radio. I would say off the top of my head, probably about three K. Wow. And that, you know, it's tolls, food, gas, lodging, uh, national park pass, the annual pass. Um, you know, again, I also went to Maine twice and out to Texas. So it adds up. Yeah. Yeah. And so everyone out there complaining about the $19.95 to get your <laughs> get your certificate. It didn't cost you 3000 bucks. This man just gave you that. So if it was important, you know, then then you can get the, the sh- and that that's one of the things. I mean, since it's. Since it grew into what it grew into, the 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 league seems to be really uh, doing it up big with the uh, the certificates and whatnot for the leaderboard and the the activators and whatnot. It's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they spend a lot. I'm sure they spend a lot of money and a fair amount of time and some probably after hour emergency time with IT guys and everything else, getting making sure the leaderboard wasn't breaking or you know things were running smoothly or whatever the case. So I yeah. mean, they deserve a huge huge gratitude for that. 
Um, you mentioned just a few minutes ago that you did 80% of this with your Elecraft KX3. And uh, welcome mm-hmm. again right. to Elecraft, one of our new show sponsors. Totally stoked about that, by the way. Um, but then later this year, close to uh, close to the fall, I guess, you decided to pick up a 100-watt rig. What, what possessed you to do that? Uh, what possessed me to do that? I, I decided, um, you know, with, with 10 watts, single sideband, I, I decided I really wanted to get more into the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really wasn't reaching that far with the, uh, with the propagation. So I decided just to get a, a dedicated uh, mobile rig and then use the KX3 more for just portable use. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it shines at that. I mean, we've seen you, we've seen the pictures of you lying there in your hammock uh, with your Ham Radio 360 knit cap or toboggan as we like to call it here in the deep south uh making contacts with your pack 10 of mini strung in a tree so it was uh it wasn't just sitting in a car i mean you you went out in the park and activated these things it wasn't just like you pulled up in the parking lot screwed the antenna on and went to work yeah and i should clarify i mean i used the kx3 soul that's the only radio i had for 10 months from yeah. up, up until October, and then from there until the end of the year, portable was the KX3, and then just the Kenwood and the mobile for two months, and, and just, a month and a half. Just let everyone know, this is the same KX3 that you pretended to put in the garbage can when the KX2 was announced. <laughs> it still yeah, works. Exactly. Yeah. It still works, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's still people that were confused by that, thinking I actually threw away a $1,200 radio. That, that was, yeah. I, I, I knew, it was hilarious. I knew what you had done to start with, and, and I just had so much fun watching the reaction on that. It was great. It was great. You have fun. Yeah, you do. I mean, it's it's serious because you're, you're working and you're trying to do this and, and get these activations, and people are chasing you and wanting confirmations. But at the same time, man, you, you just, it's like anything. Just enjoy it. And I believe uh, exactly. if, if anybody enjoyed National Parks on the air this year, it was Stuart Thomas, KB1HQS. We're going to get back to him. We're going to dig a little deeper into his gear that he used. He just mentioned his KX3, his uh, Kenwood TS480. We'll talk about that and more coming up. Hi, Dan, KB6NU here. Whether you're studying for your tech license or looking to upgrade to general or extra, you should check out my no-nonsense amateur radio license study guides. Written in my easy-to-understand, no-nonsense style, they really are the easiest way to learn what you need to know to pass the test. And they are always up to date. The PDF version of the Technician Class Study Guide is free on my website, at kb6nu.com slash podcast and all my study guides are available in print, PDF, Kindle, and EPUB versions. Let me help you have more fun with ham radio. Go to kb6nu.com slash podcast and get started today. Back with Stuart Thomas, KB1HQS, the number one activator for the National Parks on the air ARRL Centennial Celebration with the National Park Service here in the United States. And uh, Stuart, man, just just stoked to have you back on. Guys, I, I don't know if you know this, and I'm going to put the, if I can find it, I'll put the picture of Stuart and myself up on the show notes, but he's like eight feet tall. <laughs> and I think he weighs about 112 pounds with his shoes on. Uh and, and he's probably even skinnier than that now after activating 503 parks throughout the national parks on the air. I, I, you know, that's one of the things you just don't know people until you meet them face to face. And I'm sure there were a lot of disappointed people when they met me. They're like, that's not what he sounds like up at Hamvention. Uh, <laughs> your, your voice didn't surprise me, nor did your face. Cause I'd seen, you know, seen you before on, online, but your height sure. really, really freaked me out, especially with your OM standing there. And I'm like, 
he's a lot taller than his dad. <laughs> so it's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. Did, did let me before we talk about your gear. Did your dad activate any with you this year? I uh, actually did. Yeah, down in Texas at uh, Big Thicket. Fantastic, cool guy. One of the coolest dads I've met in a long time. Congratulations on having a cool dad. Thanks. Yeah, he, he was, I learned all my ham radio stuff from him. So he's going to send me a like check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're, we're gearheads around here. I say it all the time. Everybody wants to know what you use to activate. We've mentioned KX3. Uh, we mentioned Pac Tenno. We've mentioned the TS480. Um, tell us a little bit about some of your experiences with the KX3. Yeah. So the KX3 worked great. Um, I really. Really did, had a great, great experience with it. Uh, I, unfortunately, I coupled it with uh, two hamsticks, a 20 meter and a 40 meter hamsticks for the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we all know, are kind of glorified dummy loads. But you know, I made contacts, and uh, it, it seemed to work pretty good. Um, it definitely things got better though once I put up a, uh, a Wolf River coil vertical antenna mm-hmm. on the car. Then things, you know, resin antenna it just it worked a lot better. And uh, yeah, I love my KX3. Wouldn't Good trade stuff. for anything. Good stuff. And and during this time, we we, we heard you. Uh, we saw your video that you did about the Pac-10 Minis and enjoyed that. Uh, George does a great job with those. And uh, of course, he sold out at Hamvention. Glad you got one so you could use it in your activations. Um, tell us just a, just a smidge about your experience with the Pac-10 Mini. Yeah, so the Pac-10 Mini. Um, you know, it's funny. I originally uh, before I even saw the Pac-10 or heard anything about it. I had this whole scheme about making an antenna that was self-winding with this and that. And then I saw the Pac-10 and I was like, well, great minds think alike. I don't even have to buy one. I just go get it, you know, and I yeah. don't have to make it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an awesome antenna. I really like the uh, multiband end fed. Probably use that the most. And then I got the uh, dipole version. And I've been using that for the last, uh, about last month. And uh, I have to say, of the two antennas, those... I've been using those the most. Yeah. Uh, and then I also use the Alex Loop uh, in downtown DC or other situations where, see, the National Park Service, you can't put anything in the ground and you can't put anything in the trees. Mm. So it makes it, depending on how much time you have and where you're located, it can make it a little challenging to put up something like a wire antenna. Right. So the Alex Loop came in really handy because I had a tripod and the Alex Loop and I could be set up in under five minutes in a very small footprint, very unobtrusive. You know, it, it really, uh, it worked out really well for the DC Memorial stuff. Well, I know, I know, my buddy Julian, the Survival Tech Nord, will appreciate that. He's a big Alex Loop guy. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great antenna. I really like it, and uh, you know, using it in, in in DC where I was doing six activations a day, two days in a row, and you know, you have to set up, tear down, walk you know 200 yards set up tear down and etc so i needed something i could you know use really quickly and and uh, make contacts with so it worked great is that, is that something you'd recommend to somebody that that's doing portable ops or doing uh, uh has very limited space for their operations the alex loop i would if you're not going to run more than 10 watts and if yeah, it's it's kind of one of those antennas. It's kind of situational dependent. If it if you need to move around on like say in a contest, and you need to move around a lot on on the band. Mm-hmm. It becomes a little work because you has a really narrow bandwidth, so you got to retune it a lot. Right. Um, but if that's not the case, like for example, for me, I'm going to find an open frequency and I'm just going to stay there until I'm done. Mm-hmm. It works great. And you know, just like I said, if you, like if you're like say you have a balcony of a hotel or an apartment, um, and you have and you can't put up a wire antenna, that's a great great um, antenna to use i was looking at some of your statistics you shared with me uh, when you were running qrp 10 watts with the Elecraft kx3 you were averaging about 10 contacts an hour yeah and it's i didn't run it through a spreadsheet or anything but yeah. i would say 
because 10 usually obviously is the minimum to make an activation. Yeah. And I found it usually took about an hour. Now, someplace like downtown DC at one of the memorials, say at the Washington monument, I had that in, you know, eight minutes, but right. it, uh, it just kind of, but I'd say overall throughout the year. Yeah. It was about 10, it was about 10 QSOs an hour. So, so it took some dedication. <laughs> when you say you had those, you had those in eight minutes, I mean, you could pack up and stop right there, but you still had chasers, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So and, what do you, you do know, about I, that? Do you get greedy in a uh, walk usually, or what? Well, it, it depends. Uh, you know, usually I would stay. It really depends on the schedule. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes maybe I would. I was just out running errands and I had thirty minutes that I could activate a park, and that's what I did. But the memorials, I usually did about an hour each for actual transmit time, and then tear up and tear down on either side of that. Okay. So, cool. you know, sometimes you just can't spend six hours out at a at a site. It really just kind of depends what else <laughs> is going on in life. Yeah, because there is a thing out there called life. Uh, yeah, exactly. and, and for a lot of people, that you have a wife that rhymes with that, and she's <laughs> wondering when you're coming home, right? Exactly. Yeah. And now on the flip side, you know, the the Kenwood, you know, at 100 watts, I was averaging probably 100 QSOs an hour. You know, my, it, it was almost like shooting fish in a barrel the first time I really started using it. I was like, this is almost too easy because, you know, I was used to call. I mean, I had the, the macro, the voice macro thing on the, the KX3 to call mm-hmm. for me, and I would just call and let it loop. And, you know, that's my thing. You know, if you're doing QRP or the propagation's bad, don't be, don't be afraid to call uh, CQ over and over. Right. I, I see a lot of people, they just don't call. It's really strange. I, I asked my dad about this, and he said it, it's definitely changed. He said back in the day, people used to call all the time. He says he doesn't hear as much anymore. Well, I don't hear it. I was going to ask you about that because, you know, we hear we hear this question all the time. Okay, I'm a brand new general. Should I buy a FT817 or an Ellicraft KX3 or should I buy a 100-watt radio? And, I mean, it's so hard to answer because you really don't – you're not that person. Yeah. You don't know how to answer that for them personally. Uh, but you just – you saw the difference. I mean, you operated for eight months out of a year with an, a QRP rig. And then you just said when you went to that 100-watt rig, it was like shooting fish out of a barrel. It, it really – it was shocking. I should have done a video on it because I was like, this is so easy. And I'm getting people from Arizona and California and Hawaii. And I'm like, I never would have had this on the KX3. It just you – know, you know, if I had a better antenna, yeah, that definitely would have yeah. helped things out for sure. There's just a lot of variables. And uh, you know, I also had a lot of people that were, were looking for me. If you're just a new ham that's running 10 watts on single sideband – you're going to really have to spend a lot of time, of course, depending on the band conditions in your antenna to make that happen. Right. You just, your chances and your efficiency will increase significantly with hundred Watts. So it's very doable with, with QRP, no question about it. But again, I'm also extremely persistent and very patient and I'll spend a lot of time to make those contacts. So it really depends on you as a person, I guess, how much patience you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, and, and being a new guy, you, you know, all your buddies in an old man, HF is where it's at. You got to get on HF, HF, HF. And, you know, they get on there with, say, 10 watts, and they go, uh, they make about two calls of CQ, and they don't realize that if someone's not driving by you on the VFO there, they might, may not know that you're there. And, exactly. Uh, you know, your dad exactly. makes a great point. Uh, we hear a lot of people complain about, oh, the repeaters are so quiet. No one's on the repeaters anymore. Well, are well, you if, are you on the yeah, repeater? <laughs> exactly. If you had the, if you heard it on, and you heard nobody. Did you call? Or did exactly. you you know give your call sign? No. So yeah, I think you know prop- people. All oh, propagation is terrible. It's like this self fulfilling prophecy that well, if the, if the space weather's bad, then we're not gonna. I'm not gonna call. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, there was one day they were like the sunspots were like zero. It was like the worst conditions you could have possibly. I mean, it was I'm not gonna go. Out. No, 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 I'm like you know what? I'm gonna go out. and I'm gonna activate. I'm gonna make this activation happen just because it's gonna be so horrific. And 
and running 10 watts through a hamstick, I'm going to make it happen. And that's what I did. And I think it took me two and a half hours to do it. <laughs> but I did it just to prove that it can be done. You just how much time do you want to devote to it, really? Right. Yeah, so that that's a that's a tip for new guys if you're coming into the hobby, uh, coming into HF, getting you know got your general upgrade or whatnot. Uh, don't be afraid to just sit there and call CQ. Maybe call CQ for twenty or thirty, forty seconds and stop and listen, and maybe call for that much more. You know, just keep calling because someone will hear you, but they're not going to hear you if you're not saying anything. Exactly. And nobody's going to get mad at you for sitting there and calling CQ unless you know you're talking over someone. Of course, that's why we always say is this frequency and use. And stop and listen. Of course, it's listen, 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 and listen again. But uh, yeah, man, take that. That's some good advice there. Use it. Uh, if you want to make contacts, that's a, a very good way to do it. Call CQ, right? Yeah, I agree. And you know, 100 watts, if you're starting out new, is probably not a bad way to go yeah. right now, the way things are. It's just going to help increase your chances of having fun with the hobby initially. I'm not saying that there isn't you know, people out there that can do it in QRP right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of those I have for sure. Well, you know, you got those solar guys. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, of course, if you've got a KX3, you can always put the amp with it if you need to. Exactly. So, yeah. There's a, exactly. there's a lot of options, and it really comes down to your budget. So. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Everybody has a different one. It's hard for me to tell you what I'd buy. So, well, I'd probably buy KX too because I'm really. <laughs> I was telling George the other day. I said, you know, I just love the fact that you could screw the antenna in the top, make it look like a GI Joe walkie-talkie. May not be worth. You know, I may never use it that way, but that is just for me as a kid of the '80s. I'm down with that. <laughs> I'm not too proud. You. Hey, you 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 did more than just single sideband though. You you had you used multiple modes during your activations. Uh, what were some of the ones that you had good success with, and some that you probably need to to continue to brush up on? I primarily use single sideband. I did some CW as well. I'm not a, a CW champ, so it, with a pileup of CW, I, it made it a little challenging for me. Mm. I'm usually about 11 words per minute at the, on a good day, so uh, it, was, it was a good way to, to help increase my speed, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, PSK31, I didn't have a lot of luck with, mostly because I was having technical issues on my end with Windows laptop not performing well. Um, but I did make contacts on that. And uh, let's see, Riddy, um, I did a little bit of that. And just to try it out, two meter uh, FM uh, HT up in Shenandoah National Park. It's it's kind of funny. Like I've been in spots where it seems like in the cities, two meter simplex. Like I tried calling here in DC and I got nothing. Mm-hmm. I go out to Shenandoah and I was getting people right and left. So it's kind of funny. You never really know. Well, you know, there, it seems to me, and it's funny you say that. That my experience with two meter simplex on the calling frequency is the further I am away from society the more activity that there is. It's almost yeah, like the I guys agree. are sitting around in their mountains and they're talking on two-meter simplex. It seems to be. I mean, up in Maine, I found that. I talked to many of the same guys over and over who were just hanging out and, you know, I'd answer my call, which I was very uh, appreciative, especially doing soda. You know, and the other thing I found was not just having one mode. You know, if the weather, if the uh, if the propagation was really bad, being able to do two-meter FM was yeah. was key. If I couldn't make contacts on HF really well, I would switch over to that, and, and that saved me numerous times. Nice. Hey, it's whatever it takes, right? Exactly. We'll be back with Stuart Thomas here in just a couple of minutes. We're talking National Parks on the air. He's the number one activator from 2016. Back in just a moment here on Ham Radio 360 Podcast. Hey, we've still got some of the boards available for pre-order for the Antenna Analyzer Kit. If you're interested, you can find them in the swag store at hamradio360.com. Click on the shopping tab, get connected there. We've got stuff, stickers, patches, 
I might be out of stickers, but I know we've got patches. We've got toboggans, knit caps. We have a lot of great things, including the antenna analyzer board. You're looking for one of those. You can find them online at hamradio360.com. All right, we're back with Stuart Thomas, KB1HQS. He is the, uh, like I've said numerous times, the number one activator in the national parks on the air. Special events, can't call it a contest, event here with the ARRL in 2016. Congratulations again on being the top dog. Thank you. Does does T-Dog know that he's the top dog? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if he does. <laughs> we, have to, we have to get some cookies for that. He's uh, he's had some miles under his belt this year, along with you. Uh, his collar, I guess. I <laughs> his paws. Yeah. Now, um, you can't say that um, you do something like this to the extent that you did this year. 503 activations, uh, chasing all over the place, activating all over the U.S., You've had to have learned some stuff, and it's fun to talk about, you know, what you used and the parks you went to, the funny stories, but this is this is really kind of the, the meat taters kind of stuff here. Um, what can you share with us for someone who's maybe interested in portable activating or portable operating, I should say, now that the activations are over? What did you learn that you can share with people from your experience? Sure. So, you know, National Parks obviously is over. It was only for 2016. However, a lot of these things that I'm about to tell you can apply to all these other ham radio operating programs. Uh, the first one is to, you know, I had a, uh, a notebook for my soda and National Park stuff. Mm-hmm. And basically what I did is I did printouts of all the designators. I had I kept all my park maps. And the reason having the hard copies is, you know, 99% of the time I could get a cell signal if I need to look up a designator. But there was always that, you know, 0.1% that I didn't, like Shenandoah National Park. And now I'm like, crap, what's the, uh, what's the designator, you know? So being able to have a hard copy of whatever designators for whatever program or information that you need, uh, having a hard copy of that's key. And then uh, I also use Google to look at maps of the area that I was going, and not just the roads, but also satellite view and street view. Uh, for example, there was one I was like, "Oh, that's gonna be a perfect spot," and then I zoomed in on satellite and I saw a huge, you know, power poles and, and electrical lines, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna set up there." <laughs> but I wouldn't have seen that unless I had driven there, unless I had looked it up. Right. So being able sometimes just to kind of scope it out on Google uh, Maps is is key, and uh, I would say also just keeping things simple when you're going portable. I know everybody likes to cram lots of things into boxes and, you know, have these huge things. And if you're going to operate it out of the car or, you know, drag it to the picnic table 10 feet away, then that's fine. But, you know, if you're going to go more than 100 yards and put in a backpack or anything like that, everything's going to change. And you need to have it simple, lightweight, and really easy to use. And what I do is um, the other thing is to have a checklist, you know, if, especially if you're going to be away from your car where all your stuff is, is to have a checklist with all your gear to make sure you don't forget something. Uh, that's key. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Ounces is pounds? Yeah. Ounces is, yeah, ounces is pounds and pounds is pain or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, again, that's just more about backpacking and operating like on summits. But, you know, that also just includes if you're operating mobile. Because let me tell you, if you forget, there's many... <laughs> Many Facebook stories post about, I forgot this piece of equipment. Does anybody have, you know, a cable for the remote head to the main, you know, mm. that, you know, those kind of things. That's, that's a bummer, especially if you've driven six hours to go activate a park or a summit or a lighthouse or whatever, and you don't have it. Right. That really stinks. Um, in fact, I had one, I was doing a dual uh, national parks and summits on the air um, activation in Shenandoah, and I forgot 
coax cable. How convenient. So I had to pack everything back up and walk down the mountain. It wasn't that far, fortunately, back to the car. So what I've done is I put an emergency antenna in my uh, KX3 bag. And it has a uh, BNC to a dual binding post mm-hmm. um, adapter. Yeah. And I uh, just took some 26-gauge magnet wire. And I think it was like 58 feet for the uh, the positive side and uh, uh, 18 for the, the counterpoise or the radial side just to make like a random wire setup. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the world's greatest antenna, but it'll work, especially if you don't have coax and you've hiked four miles up a summit. I'll take it, you know. Um, so it's, you know, having a completely self-contained setup or, you know, again, you could put coax in there too to, in an antenna. But having a backup system is is really nice to have. Yeah. And, you know, we, we hear and see a lot of guys who are putting stuff together for an emergency type situation. And a lot of this all of this applies to the same thing it's, it's you you have to have a lot of forethought it's more than just buying stuff putting it in a duffel bag and tossing it in the in the closet waiting for something bad to happen exactly and going to a park you know if you take that gear that you're going to use in the quote-unquote emergency and you go to your local park and set it up you know and find out what you're missing because you'll find out really quickly you forgot the coax or the power cable doesn't fit correctly into whatever you know left the battery at home yeah yeah. you left the battery (laughs) oh yeah on the charger in fact um yeah so the other thing i have is a um i got some paint sticks Mm -hmm. and you ever seen those um remove before flight um yeah little tags you know like keychain deals so i put those on the top of the paint stick and what i do in my backpack that carries my uh, laptop for my ham radio stuff and my battery for my radio when I take those out to charge, I put one of those in so that the tag is just kind of hanging out. And I guess if you want to get super fancy, you could get one that said, you know, battery or laptop or what. I just got the cheap ones off Amazon. Yeah. But what I, the reason I did that was because one day I forgot my laptop because it was at home on the charger. Because, you know, I just grabbed the bag. I didn't think about it. Right. So if I see that tag, I know something's missing. And I can tell by the compartment what's, what's missing. Well, you know, a lot of guys with their, with their medical bags, they do color coding and stuff. And it's just I've seen, them, I've seen people take that same system, apply it to ham radio for portable operations. And that's just another example of how you can do things like that to remind yourself before you walk out that door you know you you need this you'll you'll need when you get there you'll wish you had this piece yeah no doubt <laughs> and, you know be able to go through and, and having a space for everything and yeah i know if i need my voice recorder i know exactly where it is if you know everything has a place so yeah. it makes it really easy just to go through and see what's missing you know not not everybody's that guy either you know not everybody is that guy and you know, there, there were probably some pretty hilarious attempted activations this year, I would imagine, that were probably very frustrating for different people for different <laughs> reasons. But I can just imagine, you know, just it would be me. You know, I'd, I'd drive out somewhere and, and not have the radio with me, you know. So. <laughs> Missing the power cable. Yeah, it's life, man. It's life. Well, well at least you can still go to the park, though, you know. Yeah, so yeah, I got to, got, got to pass. We, we're in. So we, we talked a little bit of, a few minutes ago about uh, – about calling CQ, uh, any operating procedures you might have kind of uh, learned or honed during this time? Yeah, one of the things I hadn't done before, uh, I've done lots of things in the dark. I've scuba dived in the dark, I've hiked in the dark, biked in the dark, but I've never operated a radio. And if listening to that, it doesn't sound really all that impressive. But if you get in your car and you turn off all the lights, no dome lights, and you turn your laptop on, your radio on. If you don't have a backlit keyboard, well, guess what? It's going to be really hard to see the keys. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Yeah. But 
I was like, uh, I can't type. I can't hold a flashlight in one hand, type with the other hand, and talk with them. It just doesn't work. So I came up with all these really, you know, extravagant systems. Oh, I'll do this and I'll do that. And I realized, you know, all I need to do is take one of the two headlamps that I have in my bag and wrap it around the the very top of the um, the display of the laptop, so that the the headlamp itself is right in the middle and just kind of because of gravity will just kind of hang down. Hmm. Turn it on, and now I've got instant light on the keyboard, and I can see what I'm doing. Nice. So that's a good hit. That's a great I don't know if that description makes sense, but it's uh, yeah, it was just a really simple way to. And you could also put it on your head too, but I just found it was just easier to put it on the laptop. Yeah, that way when you weren't looking around, you you know, flashing everybody around, cruising or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, so um, in in you know Winterfield Day, we're right on top of that, and uh, some great great stuff to be able to apply to Winterfield Day coming up. Uh, any portable operation, soda, you know, it's uh, it, it's going to be warm before we know it. And the activations there will begin again. Any further um, things you learned about operating portable that you think someone may not know or that that would benefit from knowing? Yeah, I would say um, two things. Number one, spotting rules. Um, You know, initially I heard of spotting. I was like, "Eh, I don't know if this is really my thing. But in hindsight, we all have limited amount of time to enjoy this hobby. And I'm all about spotting. It makes life spotting is what you know got me my activations along with the chasers obviously right Uh, without spotting it would have it would have been a lot more difficult um so you know be able to spot and you know i used a uh delorman reach which is a a two-way satellite communicator using the iridium system Mm -hmm. and that was really helpful uh because it also acts as a tracking device kind of like aprs so if i was going to a series of parks that people really wanted i'd say hey you can go to my website you can see my map that has the real-time tracking and you can follow me as i go to these different sites so you have an idea where i'm at and uh, in fact garmin bought out delorman they're coming out with a new gps delorman in reach model which is pretty cool um so that's that's kind of exciting but um the other thing is the social media i really use awrl i think really used the social media for the first time this year with the national parks on the air Mm -hmm. and uh really promoted it and i think that's a great thing and glad to see see that hopefully there's more of it i use that a lot to my advantage you know saying hey you know tomorrow i'm going to harper's ferry i'm going to activate this at this time you know if, if you're gonna go out and do you know, operate. If you're just going to go out on your own, you want someone to talk to and make sure that you have success. Say, hey, you know, I'm a new QRP operator, or a new guy who's doing portable ops, and I'm going this area tomorrow. You know, will someone, you know, set up a schedule with me and, and make contact with me? So use it to your advantage and use the spotting. And um, the other thing, probably most importantly, is if you are interested in, say, a couple different programs like U.S. Islands, Lighthouses, uh, Worldwide Flora and Fauna. You know, use those to your advantage and find a spot that has two or three of those that meet the criteria for that one spot. For example, the the summit, the Soda Summit in Shenandoah National Park. You know, I advertised on both Facebook and my email and all this other stuff saying, hey, I'm going to be at the summit that's in Shenandoah and I can give you designators for both. So I told the Soda guys on Facebook, I told the National Parks people, I did on Twitter, and that just draws in more people to increase your chances of – you know, of making contacts. And if you had three different designators you can give out, even better. <laughs> well, you know, I watch, uh, I watch the national parks on the air page on Facebook as, as well as, uh, I follow some guys around on Twitter that do the satellite communications and the, you, it's kind of the same thing. You know, they're like, Hey, I'm getting ready for this one. Uh, can you meet me on the next pass and things? You know, it's some people say, oh, it's not ham radio. No, it's not ham radio. It's called social media, and it, it can <laughs> really enhance those types of contacts. Now, I'm the guy that doesn't use a spotting 
program, you know, if I get a chance to operate HF, I come up here and I start turning the big knob. And I know not everybody does that. And and I don't have an opinion necessarily one way or the other. I just don't use it because I just, I'm not, I don't have a lot of internet to use to to see where anybody is. Um, But in this particular instance, uh, the social media aspect of the entire National Parks on the Air kind of became a monster of its own. Oh, yeah, no question about it. I forget how many thousands of people they had in the group. It was huge. And, uh, you know, what you're saying about, you know, turning the dial. I mean, there was many times I just spun the knob and I found parks that were calling CQ as a, working as a chaser doing the park to park that they weren't spotted for whatever reason. Right. So I, I got lots of contacts that way. You know, just because DX Summit says X, Y, and Z is on this frequency, you may find somebody else, some really cool contact that's calling that isn't spotted. So, you know, the the, the spotting stuff isn't always 100%. And, yeah. you know, and again, it's a hobby. So you just do what makes you happy. Exactly. All right. So, um, Anything you, you anything that you wish you would have done? Any shoulda, coulda, woulda kind of deals for the uh, national yeah. parks? Yeah, I wish I had done uh, some of the satellite communication stuff. I had all the gear for it. I just never got around to doing it. And uh, I wish I had chased more parks as an activator because we did, you know, kind of like Soda. They have the summit to summit. Yeah, uh, we should kind of get a priority to to jump in the line or the pile up. Same with park to park. You know, if uh, if I was calling CQ or CQ and I got a huge pile up, I might say, hey, you know, any uh, any park activators, go ahead. Well, if, if you're activating a park in South Carolina, then you get to jump ahead of the line and, and get those points. So nice. that was a lot of fun. I didn't start until, I think, September or October. Mm. So and I ended up with 108, which, <laughs> wasn't, which wasn't bad, you know, for just – I mean, I worked anybody and everybody that was a park. or yeah, I was like, I'll work you. I don't care if I yeah. worked you before or not. It was just having fun, giving everybody else points as well, contacts. When, when you look back 10 years down the road from now – do you think this will will be the highlight that it is right now in your in your memory of operating ham radio? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's uh you know, I love national parks. I love hiking and being outside and then I like working portable uh HF radio. So, it was yeah, I loved it. it like was, I don't think I could have done any more of it than I wanted to. <laughs> it was it was is almost created just for you. I know, it seems like in yeah. a way, huh? I mean, really. I mean, a skinny guy that likes to hike and, uh, yeah, it's perfect. You know, I did six metric. activations the first week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it was all PSK too, because I uh, at the time I was just set for PSK, so I, that's what I did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was great. Now everybody's like, well, "What now? What are we going to do now?" Well, I'm doing soda. Hopefully on Sunday, I'm going to go out to Shenandoah National Park and Ooh. try to do summits. So, you know, why not get out there and do it? it, it there's tons of programs, and even if you don't want to be an official program of whatever sort, you know, just yeah. go out and do your own thing. Before before I let you go, I got to ask you when when in this process did you say I'm going to be the number one activator or die? I never really thought that. It was more of I had a well, basically I had my personal goals. I was yeah. at like two something at that point, and it was funny because in August it kind of slowed down. You know, it was kind of the summer slump, mm-hmm. and then uh, I thought, oh, this thing is just going to kind of fizzle out. And then September came, and it started picking up steam like crazy. And then I got the new Kenwood in October, and it was getting really crazy. And then November and December were completely off the charts. I mean, I had parks that had activated many times before, and I was getting people new people i'd never even worked before and i was like this is crazy <laughs> and uh it just yeah it was uh <laughs> it was something else well congratulations to you i know it was not a contest but it you're still the winner 
Uh, along oh, with everybody, uh, yeah, along you, with everybody you'd ask, else, <laughs> you'd ask me. Ask no. What I was sorry, I went off track there. Well, what I was thinking was, I, I had a goal of five hundred. Okay. Um, after I like around the two hundred range, yeah. I was looking to. I was like, you know, I wonder if I can hit five hundred and ten thousand contacts. Those were like my, my numbers, and I just squeaked under. So that was that was more what I was was aiming for more than anything. I got you. Well, I, like I said, I, I never saw this coming, and I don't think, I don't think. Many people, if anybody, really saw it becoming what it did. But, man, it has been what very little involvement I've had with the actual event. Watching the event kind of play out in front of me has been very exciting. And uh, I think it's been a great boost for the hobby. And I want to just thank you personally and publicly here for your uh, contribution to it, Stuart. You did a great job for the hobby. We appreciate you. Thanks, Kale. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And, again, we always love having you on the show. Uh, we we really need to do another soda show. So, kind of start thinking about that. We need to. Okay. We we've had one real early on. I'd like to come back and talk about it again because there's, um, there may or may not be uh, reasons for me to be talking about portable operations in the near future. So that's really <laughs> all I can say. I can tell you that uh, it's been great. It's been great getting to know you. Uh, been great following you around on this this journey of national parks on the air. Are you going to do Hamvention again this year? Uh, probably not. No. What? You're not going to come like put a crown on and stand on a podium or something? Did you Did you not read my uh, my Dayton blog that I, I wrote about Dayton? Well, but it's not Dayton anymore. It's Xenia. It's just a oh, whole I new see. thing. It's, all, it's, it's still all. in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I got other stuff going on this year. I, I don't think I'll be able to make it. You. Well, you'll be missed. I'm sure. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. It's always our pleasure. Well, that's going to wrap another episode of the Ham Radio 360 podcast. Again, thank you so much for coming by, hanging out with us. We appreciate you listening. Thank you, Stuart. Appreciate you, man. KB1HQS, one of the tallest and nicest dudes that I know. I really hope to catch up with him again sometime soon. Hey, don't forget, if you're looking for some stuff, it's all on hamradio360.com show notes, links, videos, uh, all of our sponsors are there. Everything about this show is at hamradio360.com. Appreciate you going and checking that out. If there's something on there that you're not aware of, don't know how to use or something, let us know. Uh, We want to make it the best user experience that we can. Again, that's hamradio360.com. Big shout out to ellacraft.com, our new show sponsor. Our buddies down at Main Trading Company as well with the $10 coupon HR360 on the Kenwood TS480. And wow, I believe that's about it. Going to be back here next time, and we're going to talk APRS. You're going to love it. It's a very, very informative show. Can't wait to share it with you. But between now and then, get ready for George and Jeremy. Appreciate you so much again. Happy New Year. God bless every one of you. Thank you so much for listening. 73, y'all. Thank you for listening to Ham Radio 360, brought to you by mtcradio.com. For more information about the program, visit hamradio360.com. Till next time, 73s, y'all.